as we uh, continue on from last week, and we were had an illustration um, that we were using about playing table soccer as opposed to playing the real game, and we used that illustration with respect to the Hebrew people that uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to, and he's he's trying to reveal to the Hebrew people what God is up to, and he's trying to in a sense, invite them to get involved, to move into a relationship with God as opposed to the religion that they were very much used to. In other words, to appreciate Christianity and to leave behind Judaism. And as as you read the first 10 verses of chapter 9 of Hebrews, you'll see that the writer's words are coming from that perspective, most applicable to the readers of his day because the readers of his day, this is a time following Jesus' death and resurrection and it's a time prior to the destruction of the temple. Prior to Judaism, in a sense, it's fall. They're caught in this in-between time, not sure what to think or what to believe. And in one sense, feel sorry for them. What do you believe when you're being told something when you have stood on for so long that was the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That was their position. That was, that's what they felt. That's what they believed in Judaism. Sometimes we can be in a similar place when we're looking for clarity, direction, peace. We're not sure what to think or believe. Have you been in that kind of place before? Being open to the Lord is what's most important. In other words, being open and willing to learn, willing to grow. Are we teachable? Am I open to God showing me new things, to leading me into fresh understandings about him and the way that he works? Or in my pride, do I think that I've got a pretty good handle on who God is, how he works, I've put God into a theological box? Or am I teachable? Am I open to having my faith stretched? Can God do a new thing? This was a challenge that was really being faced by the Hebrew people of the day. Being open to learning and understanding God in a totally new and different way. In the midst of these verses, the first ten verses of chapter 9, we find verse 7. But only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. And so the writer of Hebrews is moving on from the new covenant from last week to talk about the relevancy and the, the, the importance of blood in Judaism the importance of Jesus' blood. And in Hebrews 9, the word blood occurs 12 times in just 18 verses. 
And our passage today speaks much about blood. We're going to take it up in verse 11, chapter 9. But when Christ came as high priest and the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not a part of this creation. He did this, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Verses like this can almost make us wonder about the God that we serve. And particularly verse 22, which comes a little later, that says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. Does God God like blood? Does he like the smell of it in some of the... uh, The references in the Old Testament suggest that he likes the smell of it as sacrifices are burnt on the altar. As we look back over the Old Testament and the sacrificial system that was put in place by God, we might think that he's somehow or somewhat barbaric. He's even cruel. As we sense this primitive and bizarre thirst almost for blood. Blood is mentioned over 300 times in the Old Testament, 65 times in the book of Leviticus. And of the most times in the New Testament, it's the book of Hebrews. There are a number of ritual celebrations throughout the year for the Hebrew people. And they were required to sacrifice bulls and lambs, goats, pigeons, doves, Blood was to be sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled on the people, sprinkled on various items to be used in worship. As we read the the Old Testament, we soon see that people and nations have very little regard for life, both human and otherwise. There are times when we read that God seems to condone the killing of another human being or even great armies of people does he somehow have an insatiable thirst for blood but I put it to you God loves his creation God loves his creation with each step of the creative process Each day, every day, God would declare that what he had made was good. It was very good. He loves his creation. A perfect and a beautiful world was created by his word under his direction. It was a world of harmony, of peace, of love. Were you drawn to think about God's creation in our video at the start? Thank you, Roz. 
the beauty of God's creation. A world of harmony, peace, love, this incredible beauty that we see in the plant and the animal kingdoms. Unseen, it seems for most of us, unseen glory in the creation of the depths of the oceans. Beautiful creation in the the depths of the sea. Why put it there? Most of us never see it. Unseen glory in the galaxies that we're only just starting to get some idea of. All created in love and to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. Beautiful creation. So then upon the very first sin of Adam and Eve, God provides for them clothing made from animal sacrifice. In a very real sense, God gives of himself. God gave himself as he took from his beautiful creation to provide for them. Was it the leather of a deer? Soft and comfortable. Provided for them to cover their shame and guilt. I doubt that God was taking pleasure as he took the life of that animal. And I can only assume that as God took that, the life of that animal, it was done in such a gentle way. But clothing was provided by a loving God who was prepared to step in prepared by a loving God who declares that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness. This is the very first demonstration of God's loving forgiveness. This is not some act of barbarism or unnecessary violence, but the gracious provision of our God demonstrating his forgiveness. God is revealing his heart toward us. He could have left them unclothed in their guilt and their shame and said, you figure out a solution. It's your problem. But no, he demonstrates his forgiveness through the sacrificial provision of the innocent. There in the very first instance of sin. And again, in providing for his people under the harsh dictatorship of an Egyptian pharaoh, God says concerning the blood that they should place over their doorposts, the blood will be a sign for you. A sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It is a sign to you. You're living in this house. You see the blood. You pull it over the doorpost. It's a sign to you that I will save you. And then upon the giving of the law through Moses, he says this, Leviticus 17.11, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves. God's gracious gift. In other words, 
It is in the giving of life that you are saved. Now, you cannot die to save your own life. And so another's life is given in your place to save yours. What a gracious act of provision from our Lord to take from his beautiful creation to provide forgiveness for us. And so we come back to our passage today. In the Old Testament, priests entered into the outer court every day to perform their rituals. Only once, once a year, did the high priest enter the inner room, always with blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. But Jesus... Our high priest entered into the very presence of God by his own blood, his own death. He has declared by John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist said there, look, is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. Without blemish or sin, Jesus gave his, his lifeblood to take the place of ours. And it's by his blood that we are cleansed of all sin. We're forgiven, we're cleansed. Nowhere in the Bible do we find any suggestion that human sacrifice is a good and necessary thing. Except here in the person of Jesus. And so we need to try to understand a little better the the deep mystery that sacrifice involves. And it seems to involve at least three aspects. Firstly, in the act of sacrifice, we offer something back to God that is of value as a sign of our grateful commitment to serve and worship him. We're showing God that he is our first priority, he is our commitment. Nothing else is more valuable to us. We're prepared to sacrifice whatever is of value to us to demonstrate that we're committed to him. Secondly, as we understand the sacrificial ritual system through the Old Testament, we come to appreciate that a life sacrificed or given in our place is given in order that we might be saved. So in some kind of way, it's a life for a life. Or in the words of Leviticus, the life of a creature is in the blood and God has given it to us to make atonement for us. Thirdly, we understand that somehow the sacrifice of an unblemished life renders us a fresh new start, cleansed, forgiven, and therefore fit to serve our holy God. Sacrifice brings purification, brings cleansing, brings forgiveness. And in Jesus' death, we see the ultimate fulfilment of all three aspects. There was nothing of any greater value that God could give of himself as Jesus reveals his love for his Father and his commitment to serve him through his death. There was nothing of greater value. You know, blood indicates that a a price has been paid and blood is the dearest price that can be paid. There's nothing more valuable than Jesus' blood. Nothing more valuable. 
Secondly, a life for a life. He died so we don't need to. He took your cross, my cross. And thirdly, his sacrifice makes us clean before God, purifies us from all righteousness. And that's the wonderful, wonderful aspect of Jesus' sacrifice is just that. As opposed to the the old sacrificial system where the blood of lambs and bulls and goats would cover over their sin. Now, Jesus' sacrifice removes our sin. The psalm that we read, Psalm 51, please cover my sin. But now, Jesus' blood removes our sin and transforms us from the inside out. Verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? In that psalm before Psalm 51, David remembered his sin and it was always before. His sin was always before the Lord. How much more will Jesus' blood cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? As Paul declared, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And as he also declared in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our conscience is cleansed, our personality is transformed, our attitudes and our motivations through a renovated heart and our sin is no longer held against us. It is totally removed. This is by far the better and most superior covenant that God has made with us. All praise be to our God who has paid our debt and raised us to abundant and eternal life. Amen? Amen. The writer then goes on in verses 15 to 22 to speak of the importance of that blood, but this time in the context of the last will and testament. Now, you cannot receive the inheritance coming to you until the death occurs of the person who has written that will. And so just as sacrificial lambs were given in the Old Testament to grant life to the the Hebrew people, now Jesus' death grants us all the wondrous blessings of our inheritance. We already are receiving our inheritance. Through faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We come into an inheritance as God's adopted children. And the writer concludes these thoughts with verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There is no inheritance. There's no forgiveness. And so God demonstrates his love and forgiveness through the sacrifice of the innocent, through Jesus. He himself has paid the debt that we owed. From the time of Adam and Eve's very first sin until now, God has always been saying... 
It is in the giving of life that you are saved. You cannot save yourself. You cannot die to save yourself. You can die to save somebody else, maybe even your own family, but you cannot die to save yourself. And so another's life is given to save yours. I have given of myself to save you. God's been saying that right from the beginning. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2. And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome saviour. What depths of love and grace that he has gone to to save you, to save us. Such is the Father's heart. It is in the giving of life that you are saved. You cannot die to save your own life and so another's life is given to save yours. I have given of myself to save you. How merciful and gracious is our God. But the blood of Jesus not only saves the repentant but also condemns the defiant. The blood of Jesus condemns the defiant. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So if you've not recognised Jesus' blood as paying the price for your sin, if you are denying that then there will be a price to pay. The choice is ours. To accept that Jesus' death paid the price for my sin, to live in faith, hope and love, to become a child of God, or to be condemned to an eternity in hell. That's the choice. When God has opened the way into eternity for us, he's done it. He's opened the way. When he's opened the way into eternity for us, when he has made his every provision through the blood of his own son, when he freely offers us forgiveness and cleansing, what should be our response? What is? your 
response. I want to invite you all now just to close your eyes, to take a moment in prayer yourself, quietly with the Lord. Father, we are so grateful that you have made every provision for us. We're so grateful as we have thought this morning, been reminded this morning of your heart towards your creation and towards us as part of that creation. And Father, you long for all to be good again. You have provided Jesus for us. He has shown us how to live with one another. He's not only our great teacher, but he is our saviour. And we thank you that Jesus gave of his, his blood, his lifeblood, on the cross. We thank you for his death, paying the price for our sin. We thank you for his resurrection, assuring us that we too will walk from this life into eternity with you. And we can only begin to imagine the beauty of heaven. And so we thank you that we've already begun to experience our inheritance through, through Christ. But we look forward to that day in glory with you. Father, for those here today who may not have made a commitment to you, who have not yet sacrificed themselves, in a sense, to you, Father, we continue to pray for them. And we pray that you would help them to know the, the leading of your Holy Spirit, that you are real, that you have paid the ultimate price and that you're calling them into your family and into all the, the wonderful subsequent blessings as a result. Father, be at work within each one of us, we pray, and be glorified that others might be drawn to you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If this morning as you prayed even you sense the Lord's prompting, the Holy Spirit prompting you to give your life to him, then I invite you to do that. You might come forward and we'll pray with you as we close our service now as we stand and sing. And this is a song that we're just praising God, praising him for Jesus' blood and that it is through Jesus' blood that we have the victory. Praise God. Let's stand and sing.